You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Go ahead and turn your Bible to John uh, chapter 13 this morning. Uh, looking at verses 34 and 35, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, please uh, uh, let our ushers know that by sticking your hand up. We'd love to get God's Word uh, into your hand. Now, all year long, we've been hitting uh, this theme, you are, love. come on, with gusto, what a theme we've been hitting, you are, love. there you go, and uh, we started off, remember, in September with the reality that of God's extravagant love, just trying to wrap our minds around the fact that there's a God out there who is holy and perfect and just and righteous, and yet he loves us so sinful and so weak and so frail. We hopefully got a greater picture of God's love through that series. And then how how do we respond to that love? We went into the next series, uh, uh, Heart Abandoned, remember? How do we respond to God's love? By giving God my everything, giving him my heart back. And then the Easter series, how can I not, considering all that he went through for me at Easter, amen? How can I not give God my everything? And it's not just loving God as a response that we have to his love. There's a second part of that that we're going to finish off the year's sermon series with. The second part of that is is loving each other. Yes, uh, the love of God evokes me to love him, but it also compels me to love other people. How do we know if we really get God's love? How do we know? When actually we start to love each other with that same kind of love. You know this, right? The first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What's the second? What's the second? Some of you know it. What's the second? Yes, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So everything then hinges on these two commandments. Love God, love each other. If you picture your... Faith being like a door, there's two hinges on that door to make it work. Loving God's the top hinge, loving others is the bottom hinge. If one of those hinges is broken, what is that door? Useless. For a faith to truly be alive, both aspects must be real in our hearts. And so for the next number of weeks, we're going to study how we can live out the bottom hinge by grasping uh, the one another's. And the New Testament is filled with commands that are the expected norm of the believer, the one another's. They reveal to us God's design for how we're supposed to live in community and how we're supposed to live in relation to others. It really reveals the power of the gospel in and through our lives. And the one another's, if you look at the infographic here on the screen from uh, Bible.com, the one another's are littered throughout the whole New Testament a hundred times, 47 of those verses giving instructions to followers of Jesus, 60% written by Paul, but they're written by Jesus, they're written by Paul, they're written by uh, James, they're uh, scattered throughout the New Testament. 33% of them have to do with this, unity getting along as believers, walking in cohesion with each other, not like the world does. 33% involve loving each other. I'm gonna define that for you in a minute. 15% get to the core of the human heart, pride, and they talk about being humble towards one another. And the rest of those are random acts of of kindness that we are to be showing each other as followers of Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to write those down. We'll put those on the, on the internet at the end of the, this week so you can kind of catch a bird's eye view and you can have them for you. But, but just to help you understand the broad scope of the one another, it's not just like one or two one another. They're all throughout the New Testament and they are commands for believers. They're not options for us. They're not like, hey, if you feel today like uh, invoking one, of the, one another's, go ahead. No, they're, they're what we ought to be living every day of our lives. Putting it, put it this way, church. We are not living the radical and life-changing gospel until we desperately love God and deeply love one another. And you know where it starts? Right here in the family of God. This morning we're just gonna unpack the first of the one another's. It's one that kind of encompasses them all. The text is John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me read it for you. Two short verses, but I think you'll understand the vast significance of them as I get into them. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if... If you have love for one another. So crucial is this sermon series for our church. And so crucial is this point for our church that we're actually going to make this the fifth pillar of our church. Up to this point in our church history, we've had four pillars. You know them well. The unapologetic preaching. Excuse me. The unashamed adoration. The unceasing prayer. The unafraid witness. But here's the fifth pillar that really separates us from the world as a church. It's uncommon community. And so we as a church want to take these uh, very seriously. Every Discover Harvest, I say, after I run through the four pillars, if we had a fifth pillar, if we had a fifth pillar, it would be something like this, uh, living real and loving each other. And people keep asking, well, why don't we have a fifth pillar? And I kept asking myself, why don't we have a fifth pillar? Because it's the mark of a true church. Loving each other is the mark of a true church. A church without love is like a loaf of bread without yeast. And so we're going to dive into this this morning and hopefully get a bird's eye of what it means to truly love each other. Uh, probably nothing you've never heard before, but I'm praying that God will apply this fresh in your hearts. I'm praying you'll have open hearts to hear this. And before we get into it, I'm just going to pray that God would uh, do a deep work in us, that God would truly make us a church that loves each other. Not just welcomes each other, but truly loves each other. And so I'm going to get on my knees. I encourage you to get on the knees in your heart and ask that God would speak to us so clearly this morning. And God, we thank you this morning for the depth of the love that you showed for us through Jesus Christ. And God, we acknowledge that we can't even begin to comprehend the depths of that love and Yet we want to, Lord. We want to fully see Jesus. We want to fully understand all the ramifications of that. But we also, God, want to fully live out that love that you've poured into us and to other people. God, I pray this morning that you would renew within us not just a passion to love you, God, but a passion to love each other with the true love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us become more and more like Jesus as individuals, more and more like Jesus as a church? Would you cause us, Lord, to be set apart from the world, not by the things that we believe necessarily, not by the, by the holy lifestyle, but also by loving each other in the way that you loved us. Please, Lord, do a deep work in us today, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Okay, the first thing you can write in your notes is this. God designed me to love others. God has designed me to love others. One of the greatest ways that God has designed for our faith to be expressed is through loving others. Look at what it says in verse 34. A new commandment. Notice that word. It's a new commandment. I have given you that you love one another. Right away, if you're like me, you're thinking a new commandment, love one another. I mean, no one's ever said in the Bible to love one another up until Jesus. Well, if you look back at Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 18, it's actually a commandment that came up, first of all, in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 18 says this, no ven- have, you should not have vengeance or bear a grudge against another, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, well, how is this then a new, a new commandment if it's, Back in Leviticus, the new commandment is this. God, Jesus takes it from, hey, don't just be nice to each other. Don't just not bear grudges and don't just not steal from each other and those kind of things. But now he's saying, you now love each other. But here's the new part of it. As I have loved you. He's taking it to a whole new realm, a higher standard of love, one based on Jesus Christ. And notice this, it's a commandment. It's not an option for us. A lot of times we take God's word and we're like, is this really a, a commandment or is this something that I should possibly think about? This is, this is a commandment, a new commandment. This is like, this is like God ordained. This is, this is like an edict of God that we love one another. In other words, it's not a suggestion. Uh, there's no uh, opt-out clause for believers. Like, you know, I'd like to have Jesus. That's, that makes me feel good. I want to go to heaven, and, and I want to have all the blessings. But this love one another thing, like, that's a little bit radical, and it gets me out of my comfort zone. I'm going to opt out of that. There's no opt-out clause when it comes to loving each other. In fact, when it comes to loving each other uh, on our spiritual survey of our life, if you're a believer, there's only one box to check. Do you love others? The only box to check is Yes. I get it, you get it, right? We've heard this all the time since we were in Sunday school. One of the first lessons we learned as kids was what? Love God and love one another, wasn't it? Yet D.A. Carson says this, the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, yet profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Would you not agree with me on that? Would you not agree with Carson on that? So simple to say, so simple to tell our kids, but, but let's think about our own lives for a minute. How do we really practice this, and are we practicing exactly the command that God gave us as believers? It's important to think about, because think about this when you think about how God's designed us uh, to be loving others. My love, and get this, is proof that I actually know God. My love is proof that I actually know God. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's pretty hard-hitting, isn't it? How do you know if you really love God? Well, I know if I really love God because I've, I've got the right theology and I carry my ESV Bible and I go to a church that preaches Christ and I sing the right worship songs, not man-centered, but God-centered. And, and I pray a lot. What is the Bible? What, what's the Bible say? 
Those are all things we need to do for sure, but the litmus test comes down to if you've really experienced God's love, you're actually loving others. In other words, there's no such thing as an anti-people person Christian. There's just not. There's no such thing as a grumpy, standoffish Christian. I'm a Christian, get out of my face. I'm a Christian, I just don't like people. Some people you look at and you're like, they must be one of those. That's actually not a reality in God's books. In fact, I think it goes like this. On a scale of one to 10, if you say you love God as a 10, but you love people as a three, the three is actually the actual representation of how much you love God. A new commandment I give to you to love one another. You think, well, this is a pretty tall order, pastor. This is a pretty tall call of God. Sounds hard, doesn't it? In our natural human flesh, we want to think about ourselves. We want to protect ourselves, do what we want and not worry about anyone else. And yet it's not a hard concept when you think about this. I love as a result of experiencing God's love. This love that we're talking about, this new kind of love, you know where it comes from? It doesn't come from you now to go muster it up on your own strength and go out of here going like, man, I just now got a love, I got a love. It comes from stopping and experiencing the love of God in your own heart. And then when you do that, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15 tell us the love of God controls us. 1 John tells us often about six times, and John refers to us as believers as beloved as beloved, what that means is divinely loved ones. And here's the reality. Once we realize that we are divinely loved ones, this is just John's more eloquent way of saying you are loved. We realize that we have the greatest love that we could have ever imagined. We're recipients of God's ever-giving joy, all joyful, all-consuming, never-ending love. And if we have this, guess what? It just seems to flow out of us. But you can't love like Jesus till you've experienced his love for yourself. And once you've experienced his love for yourself, this isn't a tall order. It's not something that's hard. It just naturally emanates from your heart. Think about this. Think about how much God loves you. Just give me, let's give me, let me give you a quick recap of our first series. Because I think already some of you are going like, man, I just can't love like that. You can love like that. You know how I know that? Because you've been given all the love you can ever handle from God already. All the love you ever need, you already have. And all that you need to love others, God's given you in his love. Here's a quick picture of God's love, a quick recap. God's love is this, is unending and unchanging. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. In other words, every morning God lavishes more love upon you, more love upon you. If you're a believer today, you are the most loved person on earth, no matter what anyone else in the world says. You're loved, and that's freeing and allows you to love others in return. What about this one? God's love is beyond measure. Ephesians 3.18, Paul's praying that we comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. It's it's like looking at the ocean, standing at the ocean, going, well, how can I ever, this is over all consuming. It's like looking at the stars. That's how much God loves you. It's, It's beyond measure. 
Ephesians 3, Zephaniah 3, 17 says, God's love is all-consuming. God will quiet you with his love. In other words, God's love is, is all that you need to still all the anxiousness and all the fears and all the self-doubt and all the rages. God's love satisfies everything in you. God's love is this, it's overwhelming. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to, all, we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers. It's overwhelming. Romans 5 eight. while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. The love of Jesus is absolutely awesome. And when we experience that love, there's nothing like it. It's like the, the, the sun is shining on us, even on the dark days, there's something real about the love of God. There's something that changes us from the inside about the love of God. In fact, it says in the word that the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This love that God's given us, that I just described for you, that's the love that's poured into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that in Romans 5.5. 5. And so once we've experienced that love and opened our hearts to that love and said, God, I believe and I repent of my sin and I want you in my life, God's spirit infuses that same kind of love into us and he compels us by his spirit to love others. See why it's not a hard chore? Because all it is is basking in the love of God and letting God do that in you that others might see his glory. Here's number two. Jesus, love, Jesus compels me to a radical kind of love. Jesus' love compels me to a radical kind of love. Ultimately, ultimately it's this. Once you have the love of Jesus, you realize that you don't need to run around trying to find love everywhere else. You don't have to be a collector of love. You can be a dispenser of love. Most people in the world, they run around trying to, trying to get people to love them, trying to figure out, how do I gather more love? How do I gather more love? I don't have enough. How do I gather more love? Believers don't have to live that way. It's freeing. Believers realize I already have all the love I can handle. I already have all the love I can handle. Now I can be a dispenser of love. It's like this. It's like leaving your faucet on all night. And you wake up in the morning, where is that water? It's consumed the sink. If you ever had you know, a pipe burst or something, it's, it's everywhere, right? That's what it is for believers. We have so much love coming in, so much love coming in, we can't actually contain it all. And so everywhere we step, there is a little bit of love being oozed out on others. Notice this, though. It's not just the regular kind of love that the world has that we're supposed to be living out as believers, it's not the regular kind of love the way the world defines it. It's loving each other just as Jesus has loved you. How does the world love? It's so different the way Jesus loves. I think the world defines love as, as something like sitting around a campfire as friends, singing kumbaya, arm in arm, you know, everything's good, it's easy, no challenges, you all get along, and that's, the way it's supposed to be, no work, it's carefree. Sort of this self-gratifying, all about me kind of love. God's love is completely different than that. Jesus' love is completely different than that. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's not a friendship love. 
not an erotic love, not even a family love, agape love is, the essence of it is a goodwill, a benevolence, a determined, willful delight in the object of love. It's a choice to love no matter what. Agape love. Think, think about this, Jesus on the cross, it wasn't a friendship sort of love he was showing you. It wasn't an erotic sort of love or a sensual love. It was even deeper than a family love. It was an agape love on the cross. What was it? It was deep and it was meaningful. It's a, it's a I'm giving everything and, and expecting nothing in return. I'm giving everything. I'm pouring myself out for you. It, it's a not about me type of love. This is the type of love that Jesus in his kind of final discourses here to his disciples saying, hey, after I go, make sure you do this. This is the kind of love Jesus is calling his disciples to. It's a giving over getting love. It's a self-sacrificing over self-serving. It's a sincere over superficial. It's a forever over fickle. It's an action based over feeling focused. It's a real love. It's God's love. This is how we're supposed to be loving each other, first and foremost, in the body of Christ. Secondly, out in the world. I'd be willing to bet that even this definition of love, it's one that we probably get in our heads, but it's so hard to grapple with in our hearts because we know we ought to do it, we know we ought to live it, but it's so counter-nature to us, isn't it? Even at the best of times, our sinful selfishness just so takes over. And yet God gives us a good description of what it looks like. If you're like, what does this look like? God gives us a great one in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 7. It's on the screen. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 7. I've had many young couples say, can you, can you, when, you, when, when you perform our wedding, can you marry us with this sermon? This is a great sermon for husbands and wives. And, and so a lot of Christians have relegated this passage. This is a good husband and wife passage. Get, get this. It's not a husband and wife passage, this text. This is a text to show you Jesus' love for you and how you're supposed to be living your life uh, loving others. It's for all of us as believers together in the church And with our neighbors, here's what it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just a gong show. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's a picture of how Jesus loves you. How you're supposed to be loving each other with the love of Jesus. A friend of mine recently said, hey, read that passage again and how about you put your own name in there and see if you're really doing it. 
Well, that's a good idea. Let me, let me do, read this again and, and insert your own name where there's love and you can evaluate right now. Am I really living out this radical, life-transforming, gospel-centered love that Jesus calls me to? Do your own self-inventory. I did mine and came up quite short, I have to be honest. Motivated me to pray harder and, and dig in deeper to the Lord. Let me read this again and just substitute your name. I'll substitute my name, but let me substitute names in this. Verse four, Daryl is patient and kind. Daryl does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He, does not, he is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Daryl bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I'm not, I'm not calling you out today. I'm calling us out. <laughs> I'm calling us out. I think, I think we have to really ask that God help us do better at the love thing, don't you? Like really help us. Like, like I even look around the, in my own life and, and I don't see this often in, in my own life. Here's, here's the one person I see this with most consistently and you won't be surprised by this, uh, but it's my wife. I'm just amazed at how she continues to love me year after year after year. And the more she knows me, let's be honest, there's more she knows about me to not love. I remember being struck by this not too long ago as we had one of those, you ever had one of those disastrous days? Maybe it's just in our home, but you ever have one of those disastrous days where nothing goes right? Just me, you're all looking at me like, what? No, we never have those. Well, good, I'm glad I can be an example for you this morning. In case it ever happens to you, let me be an example. I usually come on Saturdays because I'm home Saturdays. But it's just a bad day or Mondays when I'm home. And I remember waking up the next morning, just a horrible day. And we try to make things right every time we have rough days before we go to bed. And and this one time, it just, nothing would go right. Even trying to make it go right wouldn't go right. Ever had one of those? I remember waking up in the morning and thinking, like, if I can just slink out of the house and get off to work, that would be fantastic. Because I know that 99.9% of that fault was mine. And I don't know how to make it right. I remember being downstairs and getting my, getting my breakfast ready and I'm just trying to tiptoe. I didn't even turn the lights on in the room that morning because I didn't want to wake anyone up. I just wanted to get out of the house. Not because I was still mad, because I just felt so guilty and so ashamed. I'm thinking, how could my wife even love me anymore? I remember I was getting my, my last things ready. I was almost ready to tiptoe to the house and hear this, like, you going to work? And I, I kind of turned around. I couldn't even look her in the eye. I was like, yeah, I'm going to work. Of course, it's like 8 o'clock. Where else would I be going, you know? This is all kind of like all mellow, and she's like, you're still mad, aren't you? I'm like, no, actually, I'm not still mad. She's like, why don't you look at me? I'm like, because I'm embarrassed. Why are you embarrassed? I told you last night I'm an idiot. Like, if you look up jerk in the dictionary, it should be my picture right there. And I was expecting a little bit of the like, well, at least you admitted it finally. You're so stubborn, you know? You know what she did in that moment? She's like, I love you, honey. And she like, gave me a great big hug and like, ah, what do you even say in that moment? Like there's nothing. That... And I realized that's a picture, not just how husbands and wives are supposed to love each other. But as the body of believers is supposed to love each other, that's a picture of how we're supposed to be interacting with each other as believers. It's really how we all want to be loved, isn't it? 
Think, think about this. How do you want to be loved? I, I don't want to be loved based on my own performance or based on some ridiculous standard that you set up for me or based upon whether I'm a good preacher. If I do everything right, I don't want to be loved like that. I can't do that. I can't be that. How do we want to be loved individually? Every one of us. How do we want to be loved? In the same way that Jesus loves us. We want to be loved unconditionally. We want people to embrace us for who we are in spite of our fickleness and our failures and our frailties. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is, this is how we're supposed to be loving each other. I think it's easy to say that I want to be loved like that, but it, it's much harder to love others like that. Easy to say, I want, I want you to love me like that, but it's so hard to love others like that. Here's what we have to start doing as a church. We have to start picturing each other, walking around with a big sign around our necks that says, uh, please love me. Deep down in every person's heart is a desire to be loved, yes, by God, but it's not good enough for, say, oh, for us to say, oh, Jesus loves you, have a nice day. It's not, it's not good enough for us to say that. We start picturing people, this, this sign that says, please love me, and, and, and take it upon ourselves. Like, I want to take it upon myself to show you the love of Jesus because Jesus is living within me. I think we're good at, in the Christian community, using the right lingo. Love you. You are loved. We say it all the time, but do we really mean it? Here's what most people mean when they say I love you. Here's what they mean. I love me, and I'll be nice to you as long as you fulfill what I desire of you. That's what most people say what mean when they say I love you. Not just outside the church, even inside the church, I see it. I love you until it makes me uncomfortable. So in other words, I love me as long as you're fitting into my mold, what I think, what I, as soon as that's done, I'm out. I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that's not biblical love. That's not Christian love. Christian love is, I will love you even when I get nothing back, and I'll invest in you even when it's inconvenient. It's what we all long for and what a church ought to be in Jesus' name. It's the mark of a true church. Without love, we're just a social gathering but with love, the gospel becomes alive in our hearts and becomes life-transforming and powerful. Here's what real life, here's what real love looks like according to this love one another just as I have loved you, so you are also, look what it says, to love one another. When he's, Jesus says the same thing twice within the same sentence it's meaningful, it's a don't miss this, it's please get this, it's, it's if anything you hear, hear this. Here's what real love looks like according to the love that Jesus gave us. It, it involves this, showing interest. Another way to say this, I probably should have said it this way in the outline, but I thought of it this morning at 6 a.m. so I didn't have time to change it. Probably should have been this, is take initiative. Take initiative. Think, think about Jesus' love for you. Who took the initiative in that? Did you go trying to climb up to heaven to find God? 
No. What did God do? God saw us in our predicament of sin, rebels, enemies of him, and he's like, you know what? I'm sending my son. Jesus is like, she's like, who's going to go on this mission? Jesus, I'm going to go. Jesus came. He came from heaven to earth. He took the initiative to walk into our world, to step into our space, to confront us face to face with the ever life-changing love of God. And Jesus calls us then to follow that example and take the initiative and to show interest in other people's lives. Real love extends beyond friending someone on Facebook, following one on Twitter, and seeing their life highlights on Instagram. It extends beyond saying hi at church and how are you on the way in and good to see you on the way out. Here's what it entails. It entails taking the initiative to really get to know the people within your spiritual community and even the people within your community around you. That's what true love is. Other cultures get it. They look at us North Americans like, you guys are crazy, man. You, you, you go to church, you drive into your driveway, you go into your garage, you go into your backyard, you don't see anyone ever. That's just ridiculous. North America, we think it's normal. Everywhere else in the world, that's just weird. It involves taking initiative. Let me, let me encourage you with this, brothers and sisters. It's, it's not good enough to come to church year after year and not know anybody in the church that you come to. To never open your hearts and your homes to the people around you in church. Spiritual community. We're spiritual family. How does family do? We live together in true community. It's not even good enough just to go to the church programs. I want the church to program my social life, right? So I don't have to do any work. It's so easy. That's, that's, church isn't a social club, but the church is for genuine relationships that who takes the initiative in? We do. The onus is on me, us. It's not even good enough to go to small group once every couple weeks and say that I know people without ever making any effort to, to, to really get to know them, find out what makes them tick and... and, and care for them in ways they need to be cared for and even to live in our neighborhoods week after week and year after year and know no one in our neighborhoods is not a biblical reality of what it means to live out your faith. I get it. It takes stepping out of our comfort zones and caring for people but it goes a long way. It's what makes community community. What's the what's the, the Catalyst of community, it's us. It's not me, it's us. It takes me out of the individualistic mentality and puts me into a communal mentality. Aren't you glad Jesus took the initiative with you? We're to take the initiative with other people. I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing as I was preparing this sermon, but oh my goodness, that takes sacrifice. That takes sacrifice. Absolutely, it takes sacrifice. That's why it's radical. That's why very few people do it, because it takes sacrifice. It takes effort. Sure does. Some things are going to have to give. You have to give up something and make margin for people. Even coming back from sabbatical, that's one of Ruth and my goals coming back. is like, man, we've been so busy. We've got to give up and sacrifice something so we can connect with people better more. Not just in the sense of like, I'm the pastor, church things, but like actually connect with our people. It's been trying to figure out how do we sacrifice things. Here's some things we'll have to sacrifice to make this happen. Showing interest, it's sacrifice. That word goes along with Jesus, doesn't it? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. Here's some things we're gonna have to sacrifice. First and most precious of them is time. 
To really love people takes time. And spending time with others and investing in people, cultivating relationships. Let me encourage you with this. If you don't have time for people, then you don't have time for Jesus. You don't have time for God's commands. And you're in a real predicament. Priorities, brothers and sisters, priorities. What are they going to be? The love yous at church only go so far. One famous pastor said it this way, time is your most precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. When you give someone your time, you're giving them a portion of your life that you'll never get back. Your time is your life. That is why the greatest gift you can give someone is your time. Starts in your personal family, time, spending time as a family. That's how you love your wife and love your kids, man. Then it goes to church family. How do you connect to the, how do you truly be a part of the body of Christ? Connect with those and, and give people in your community time, even your best time sometimes. Coffee and dinner and inviting people to join you in your activities. That's what makes a true alive community. Spending time with each other and doing life together. Here's another one we have to sacrifice, finances. When you truly love, you're willing to give away what so many people hold dear, cash. And believers are here not just to love each other with words and time, but with finances. See a need, whose job is it to meet the need? We better call the pastor and the elders, right? Uh, yes, you can, we don't mind that, but where's the better way to go about it? Like have the joy yourself of meeting that need. I know our church is already doing this. I see it so often around our church. Let me encourage you with this one. I see this happening so often. Small groups rallying around other people in their small groups and, and things happen and they're just flooding these people with resources. That's great and, and that's awesome. And, and I see it happening in our church in so many different ways and some of you are so generous and I get that. But I just want to remind you that, that the number one goal of believers is to invest our resources, not in our stock markets, but in the eternal investment, people. This is the one that has eternal dividends. Even do a quick demographic study on St. Catharines and get this. There's a lot of need in St. Catharines. There's a lot of people living below the poverty line. Investing in those people shows the love of Christ because who does that? Who does that? Believers filled with the love of Jesus. You know, another way you can, you can help with this whole Community thing is allow yourself to be invested in by others. So many people on the other side of that are like, I just want to give, just want to give, but don't give to me. I'm too proud to accept, too proud to accept. Let other people have the joy of investing in your life uh, when you need it. Here's the third thing we're going to have to sacrifice. Preferences and prejudices. This love thing is not just to be with those that think like you and have the same interests and hobbies like you and yeah, yeah, I can't love people at church because they're not like me and, and if we only had people that like, like sports like I do or like, you know, like, like music. Uh, listen to this, God's family is open to everybody, all nationalities, all walks of life and social backgrounds and demographics and everybody's welcome and you know what God's love compels us to as believers is to love everybody and put aside the preferences and put aside the prejudices that we carry around with us whether you know it or not and allow God's love to flow in you and flow through you to everybody 
This is what it means to be the body of Jesus. There's no such thing with the believer as we don't connect. We don't connect, we don't connect. You know how we know we connect? Because the Holy Spirit within us connects. Age, we connect because the Holy Spirit, we have something in common greater than anything in the world, greater than sports and hobbies and things. You know what the commonality is? We've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We have the power of God living in us and we have a hope of eternal life and we have the same goals and the same meaning and the same hopes in this life as believers. Jesus and the gospel unite us in ways nothing else can. It takes taking initiative and sacrifice. Here's another one, commitment. Commitment. Just like Jesus was all in for us and like we want people to be all in for us, we need to be all in for others as well. It's amazing to me how I watch, and we're all the same. We want people to commit, commit, commit to us. We want people to just to love us and be all in for us. And, and yet, we're so quick sometimes to, to not be committed to others the way we want them to be committed to us. There's no relationships. There's no community that are pop-tart friendships. In other words, you put it in the toaster and pop, comes out in a minute later. There's no such thing. They're crockpot. True relationships are crockpot. It takes commitment to being a good friend and loving people the way Jesus does, even when you discover that they aren't as good as you thought they were. Because the more you know somebody, let's be honest, the more you're going to see all their warts and all the underside that no one wants you to see. But commitment means you're going to love them anyway. It's going to press in when everything within you says to check out. I've heard many people say over the last little while, maybe even said it myself for the last little while, man, I just wish I had a good friend. I wish there was more community. Let me encourage you with this. If you're looking for a community, why don't you commit to being the friend that you want and see what happens? Why don't you commit to not getting that friendship, but to being that friend. And you'll watch the friendships that you long for start taking root in your life. Yeah, they might be hard. They might get a little messy. But part of it, it's not just for your satisfaction. It's for your sanctification. It's so you can grow to be more like Christ as you interact with other people. Here's the last one. Endurance. Endurance. Francis Schaeffer said this, the mark of a Christian is the ability to forgive and be forgiven. It's endurance. It's going to the very end. Good relationships, real ones, go through hard times and are willing to work through the hard things. If we're part of a spiritual family, just like your family at home, you can't just decide you're not going to be part of that family anymore. You're born into that family. Your family, whether you run away or not, you're still part of that family. That's the same thing with relationships. What I want in the relationships of my life is endurance through the good times, through the hard times. My most meaningful friends to me have been there through the hard times, the, the ones that I thought that, that, that would never last, but they've been there through all the hard times because there's a commitment to endure, to endure and to forgive and be forgiven. No lasting relationship has not overcome through forgiveness and being forgiven. 
I don't understand how Christians don't, under, don't get this, to be honest. I really don't understand it because we talk about forgiveness all the time on the cross and the cross and the cross. And I think we love to accept it, but we find it hard to give. But forgiveness is such a key to the Christian life. 1 Peter 4.8 says this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love endures over a multitude of sins. And it's not your sins you're covering with love. It's the other person's sins you're covering with love. Like I see it, I get it, but we're gonna endure in this the way that Christ endures for me. And oh my goodness, are we ever glad Christ endures with us, aren't we? And every time I let him down, what does he do? He endures and he still loves me. Every time I think that this, this time for sure he's not gonna accept me, but he, he still loves me with open arms. This is what the Christian community is supposed to look like. New commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you're also to love one another. I get it. Some of you are sitting here thinking this morning, you're like, man, you just don't get it, pastor. I've been so hurt. Or have not experienced the kind of love like you're talking about. So I've given up on people and I'm not going to do it. Let me encourage you with this. Don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on what God has called you to. It's where your life is found. It's where your joy is found. It's what you're created for. What you're designed for. You are designed to be a conduit of God's love here on earth. And he's filled you with this love and he's called you to give it. I think we're a church that loves. I'm not saying we're a church that doesn't love at all. I think we're a church that loves. But I think there's always room to grow in every person's heart and every church community, don't you? I think if you boil it right down, I think we, as Christians, are good at talking about loving and not so quick at doing it often. This type of love is so rare in the world. This type of love is so rare. It's like the Red, the rare red diamond worth a million dollars a carat. There's only 30 of those diamonds around the world. I think this is so rare in the world. I think it's so rare even in our mindset of individualism in the church. And yet look what it says at the end of this. By this. I'm not just telling you this for, you hear myself talk. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. This is what sets us apart as believers. You know, there's no jacket believers wear to say, oh, this is, that's a believer for sure. Look at their jacket. It's a, it's a Christian. There's no armband that we get when we get saved. Here's your Christian armband. Put it on so everyone knows you're a believer. How do people know we're believers? By how we interact as a church family and how we treat people outside of here. That's how people know we're believers. We're not talking about this now, making church, the uncommon community, a great big social club where all we do is fun things together. No, it's deeper than that. It's more meaningful than that. It's, it's now we're gonna commit to living this out with each other and outside that people around us will be like, wow, there is truly something to that gospel message they're preaching because I have never seen a love like that anywhere in the world. I think I wanna be where they are. I think I wanna know this Jesus. If this love comes from Jesus, then I wanna know Jesus. This is how the world sees what true love is. The world's view of love is so skewed and so off and so disgustingly misrepresenting the true version of love. 
This is how the world sees what true love is. It's revolutionary. It's life-changing. It's world-changing. Put this kind of love next to the world's kind of view of love, and they'd be like, wow, those aren't even the same things. How can, they be used, how can the same word be used of those two things? It's totally radically different. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get out of the world's definition of love. We've got to start living out Jesus' definition of love, that there's a radical difference. You put us beside anyone in our neighborhoods and say, well, you know, which one's a Christian? And people are like, I don't know, they all do good things. No, no, this person is because of the way they live their lives, the way they love others. We are Christ's representatives. We are representatives of Christ on earth. This is the new command that Jesus has given us to love one another. Everything flows through this, loving God and loving each other. You want to grow in your relationship with God? Ask him to help you love one another. Some of you are stagnant in your relationship with God, like I can't get it. Why am I stuck? Why am I stuck? Ask him to grow you in loving one another. It's a command of God. It's a pillar of his church. I believe if we pursue this single one another together for the rest of our lives, it won't just change somebody else. It's going to change us too for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this reminder of what it is to truly love you. It means that we love each other. God, I pray that this church would be defined by this radical, life-transforming love of Jesus. Father, I pray that this message wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, but you grab our hearts. God, if there's areas we failed in loving each other, God, we repent right now. Forgive us, God. If there's things that need to be made right with fellow believers, then God, I pray that you'd help us to even have the courage and the humility to do that right now before we leave this place, that we'd make things right with each other. God, ultimately we want to be, to be experiencing your love and allowing others to experience your love through us. That's where our life is found. That's where our joy is found. That's where everything is found. God, I pray that we wouldn't just have pillars on a banner. They wouldn't just be able to talk the talk. They wouldn't just say the right things and have the nice lingo and the big smiles, but God, we truly love when it hurts. We love in a way that is all that Jesus' love was for us, taking the initiative and giving of our time and sacrifice and commitment and endurance. Please, oh God, we can't do this in and of ourselves. So we ask right now that you Take this message and you mold us and you shape us and you change us into the people you'd have us to be in. Change us into a life-transforming gospel community, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.